0: Empire.
1: Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to The John Conn Report. Wherever you get your podcast, you're watching on YouTube, you know the deal. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. Don't forget, you can always read my work on... ESPN.com, and I I have a story up about a new analytics person they hired at the in, to be in charge of that department. Had that on Thursday. Also a story on the first half, excuse me, the first quarter struggles and how it contributes to this three and four record, and why the Commanders are in a hole. Okay, so I'm going to get to my predictions and the keys and or keys and then a prediction in a minute. Um, first. Just some programming notes. I'll be back after the game to, to wrap up the Commander's Eagles game. Then Tuesday we'll have film review, but also Tuesday's a trade deadline. So I have a feeling there's gonna be something to talk about, or could be something to talk about that night. So Bram Weinstein and I will be doing our live stream show Tuesday night, 7:30. And it'll be after the trade deadline. So whatever happens, we will be there to talk about it. So just know that. Speaking of the trade deadline. It's going to be interesting. Clearly, there are a couple of names that you're going to hear quite a bit of. You have Chase Young, Montez Sweat. It does seem like the one firm offer they have right now is for Montez Sweat. There is no agreement in place. So there's nothing like that. In I don't know how much. For you or I, Sunday may not matter in terms of should you trade or not. I do think it may matter for them. Not positive. Uh, But, but that's, you know, that would be a sense, but it's certainly not a positive. Like if they win, I'm not taking anything off the table unless I hear that for sure. If they lose, I'm going to expect at least one move to be made. I do not expect a fire sale by any means. And I was told that don't, you know, to not expect that. That means guys like Jacoby Brissett. I don't know that you get rid of a guy like Curtis Samuel, even though he's in his last year of his deal. Um, You know, they're at Cam Curl. I wouldn't expect that. I think he's a guy that you want to keep around. But, but as far as like Montez Sweat or Chase Young, if they get a good offer for one of them, I think they would move them at that point. And this is a think, not reporting. And you know, the uh, you know another guy that you'd wonder about would would they move? You know, Antonio Gibson's last year of his deal, and I, I would bring him up because you have Derek Gore on the practice wide, you could elevate him, and um, maybe you go that direction too. I don't know that anybody's going to trade for him. But, you know, I think that's one where you can move, you can elevate a guy. And you also have a guy in Chris Rodriguez that you really like as a backup to Brian Robinson. And I know Gibson fills a third down role, but that's something that Gore can always also do. And Gibson just hasn't been as productive for them as as they, I think, needed or wanted him to be. So, but I don't know what's going to happen there. And again, I don't know that anybody's going to, I don't know what somebody would offer for him or not. Um, But those are, those are, you know, that's kind of how you would assess it right now. Clearly it would seem that Montez sweat right now has the most, maybe to offer another team. I think there are going to be some teams that may still be wary of where young is at in his, in his, just his return. Uh, You know, are you going to be able to, would you want to sign him long-term? I don't know. know with Montez, you may be able to get something more with him. If you think if the team is going to do that, if they're already negotiating, you know, like, let's say, let's say they lose. And then by Monday, team is negotiating with him to sign him long-term and then that would increase the offer i don't know that it's going to happen just a scenario where you could get something more the key is you know if you're going to it could just be a third round pick because if he leaves and sam 40 and i discussed this on the podcast thursday if he leaves in in free agency you could get a third round comp pick in 2025 but if you think you're not going to sign them back and the owner's on board with that, then you go for that third round pick this year, depending on what goes on, depending on how you see it. And I think they also know that they've actually, the defense has done well in the past when Montez sweat and chase young are not out there. And so I think that gives them some reason to think that they could still be competitive and yet maybe get some of this back as far as who's making the decisions here. I know a lot of people wonder about that because then listen, it's a fair question. You have a head coach who's also the the top decision maker in the organization who's clearly on a hot seat. But the, you know, I do know like with Josh Harris, what he's going to want, he's not going to go in there and say, you've got to get rid of this guy, this guy, and this guy, and this guy. It's not his MO never has been with his other teams. The guy who was like that sold the team in August or in July, but what he absolutely is going to want is information. And you're going to have to bring him that information and then make a decision that is best for the organization and knowing that Harris is the guy that's in on this decision. So if you're Ron Rivera, you have to then, you know, follow what he's going to want to do because if you don't, he's you he just get rid of him you right now. But let's say you make that trade and then the team starts playing well, maybe Harris looks at you differently. I don't know and I don't know that that's going to happen. But the point is Harris will be involved in this decision as far as gathering information and then helping them make a decision for what is best for the franchise. So don't worry about, I think, Ron Rivera holding on to somebody on the chance that it could help him. I think if a push comes a shove, I think they're going to have, they would have to make a move um, if it gets down to that. So, but we'll talk more about that probably after the game. Um, and, and then, you know, of course more on Tuesday. So, um, and again, with Jacoby Brissett, I, I, I just don't see them trading him. And I know a lot of people in Cleveland want him like, oh, he could be easy to have for the Browns. I don't see that because this whole rest of the season now becomes about developing Sam Howell. They like Brissette for that mentorship role. They also know that Howell's taking a ton of sacks, that if you want to be competitive at all in the second half, you're going to need a good veteran quarterback. You don't just go, oh, just get some guy on the street. He can serve that mentorship role. You don't bring a guy in in, in, in November and expect him to be a mentor to Sam Howell. It, you, it's something that you build over a few months, over an off season, going to Florida, over training camp, being in meeting rooms, etc. That's where uh, Jacoby Brissett has really helped develop with Howell. So I think he's just too valuable for you in a few ways to just give him away for, for what? You're not going to get anything big for him unless like the Browns knew that Deshaun Watson's out for the year and then they want to get him and they're giving you a third or fourth round pick. That's not happening. So you can kind of dispatch that one. And, and Jake Fromm is not the answer to come in and back up uh, uh, Sam Howell. So that's why I would expect him to around Anyway, final thing before I get to the keys, um, the, the offensive line, nothing was made official on Friday. My expectation the strong, strong expectation is that Tyler Larson will start at center at um, on Sunday for Nick Gates. That Listen, I feel pretty safe in saying that. So he will start at center. The question is, who starts at left guard? Will it be Chris Paul or Ricky Stromberg? Um, don't know yet. And why isn't Stromberg starting at center if he's your third-round pick? Well, I think part of that, to be honest, I think part of that goes back to Sam Howell being a young quarterback and wanting to have a veteran presence in front of him to help with protections, which is where I think they failed with Nick, where Nick Gates kind of failed last week is with some of those protection calls. And one of the things they did like about how in the second half is they felt he was taking more of a role in those protection calls, second half, stepping up to the line, kind of pointing some things out and that was something good. So, but that's why Larson would start over Stromberg because of that experience. You, I think it'd be, you know, again, if this is about developing, how do you really want a third-round pick and then a first-year starter, a quarterback as your main guys there? That could be that. That is definitely something to look at. I also wonder how that's going to affect them in the run game with with Tyler Larson, because a little bit more stout maybe than Nick Gates. And so we'll see. But we'll see, folks. Not not an ideal situation going into the Eagles game, but that's where that's where they're at. So, all right, that's it for that. Let's get to the to the keys of the game. And number one, and I usually don't go with kind of things like this because a little bit too generic, but I'm saying block, block out the noise. And that's number one. And by that, I mean, you have a trade deadline talk. We we talked to Montez Sweat about it on Thursday. We talked to Chase Young about it on Thursday. Trust me when I say they are well aware of what is going on and what might happen. So, you know, they they've got to block out the noise. The other people around them have to block out that noise. Because there's a lot around this team right now. You have John Allen's comments after the game last week. Terry Allen, in a very soft, but way, got his point across as well about some of the play calling or the adjustments. So there's a lot of things going on right now. Um, but the noise, I'd say, with the trade deadline talk, block that out because you've got to win this game. If they want to do anything the rest of the year, they have, or not just the rest of the year, but if they want to do anything you got to win this game. If not, then the dismantling will start to begin. I I just wonder the psyche of this team, where would that get to uh, if there's another loss with that? And it's not just, you know, it's going to be from the fan base. You guys know where you're at with this. So the noise is going to come from everybody, from the media, from the fans going into this game. You're going to have a big contingent of Eagles fans in the stadium. And it's one thing to play on the road in front of opposing fans. It's another thing to play at home in front of opposing fans. One, you get jazzed about to go play. You want to play on the road. You love going up on the road and, and silencing a crowd. You don't want that at home. So, you know, how does that play out with them? But there's so much that can go wrong from this point forward that I just wonder about, like, you've got to be able to focus on this and this alone. Can they do it? This team, to me, it's you're in this precarious spot because if you get to three and five, like I know they've recovered in the last couple of years. This year is different, you know. You've got a tougher second half schedule. You then you would have a couple guys that would have been traded. So it just signals, like, I don't think it signals necessarily rebuild, but it does signal, like, are you where? Where? Are you, what are you trying to do as an organization? Are you looking forward? Or are you looking right now? And you know, if you're trading Montez Sweat or Chase and or Chase Young, you're certainly looking at part of the future as well. And to me, this is a unique circumstance. This is an organization, I keep saying this in transition, just because Josh, Josh Harris took over doesn't mean everything just went away and everything's going to be great right away. You got to get through this year to see what is it, What is the stamp he's going to put on this team? And I think the trade deadline stuff is the first example of how he's going to make decisions and what they're going to do, the approach they're taking. But to me, this is like the, this is the bridge year from past to future. And is this troubled water or not? So little Paul Simon bridge over troubled water or, or what? We'll find out. But I think, you know, that's why I think you need to block that out. The mindset in the past after bad losses has been resilient. They were resilient the last couple of years. They recovered from bad games. They recovered from bad starts. They recovered from a horrible game against the Bills and went toe-to-toe with the Eagles the first time. Recovered from an ugly loss to the Bears to go on the road to beat the Falcons. Recovered from an – well, they haven't recovered. They didn't recover from the Giants game. They had played a better second half they only had seven points so you didn't win so but it was an ugly half and they got chewed out at halftime so like where where do they go from there do they recover from that one do they have that resiliency still in them to to then bounce back and i think this is going to tell a lot about where things go but again if it, if they go out there and get trounced then i think you can start like you know what you you know what you know what the deal is But if they can go out there and play a good game and they and they win, then, you know, you look at things a little bit differently. But, you know, going to be very tough. So I just think that the first but the first it starts with block out that noise, block out the talk around the team and what might happen. What's going on with Ron Rivera? What might happen there? Because trust me when I say like you got, you know, these players are on social media, too. They see what's going on. They see what fans are saying. They see, you know, they hear it. So anyways, block out the noise.
0: NBA fans, the wait is over basketball is back and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings' parlays, everyone's got a shot at even bigger basketball wins. String together multiple bets from the same game or build your parlay across multiple games for a shot at making your payday even sweeter. Basketball's more fun when you're in on the Action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code KIME. K E I M. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code KIME. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or visit www1800 gamblernet In New York, call 877-8HOPE NY or text HOPE NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com/basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms and responsible gaming resources.
1: Number two, I'm going to say follow the script, and I say that because in the first game, that script largely worked. A sp- on offense. That script worked on offense. Like they put up 31 points and they moved the ball pretty well. They had a couple drives in the third in the second half that didn't go so well, but they moved it well. I really liked their approach in that game. They the way they attacked. Uh it worked. So part, a couple of things that worked, lots of motion. That was the, I think it was the second most motions they used in the game was in that Philly game. And you saw this play out a couple of times. And I know that, listen, the Eagles are going to adjust. They're going to be ready for some of this. But I would test them too to see how ready are you. And One thing I don't expect is for the Eagles just to follow the Giants' blueprint and just blitz, blitz, blitz. It's not the style of this defense. They can send pressure. They will send some pressure. But they can also generate with four. But they typically like to play coverage with this defense. So are they going to play you the same way that I've seen sometimes they play press against them? You know, sometimes they're going to be off against them, but the motion really, to me hurt. They, they were a couple of times they motioned to a stack and they get a big play to Curtis Samuel out of that. They motioned to a bunch. They get a big play to De'Ami Brown out of that. Both times it was Darius Slay that they were able to target in those situations. And I think that I think that was by design. So, can you get them to that? Can you use some of that motion? Will you use some of that motion to get back into that situation? Because I think it did work. Um, you know, they they used a lot of. I think they there were times they confused them with some of their with some of their stuff, and that's why I felt like how did a, his best job of getting from first read to second read to third read at a good pace in that game. And what that did is it allowed for yards after the catch because you got, you went, you hit your plant step, not there. Second read, boom, go. Now you got yards after the catch. So they did a really good job with that. In the run game, the script was a lot of 11 personnel. So a lot of three receiver runs. And when they went to three receivers, Sam Hall was 10 for 14 when they had, you know, when, if it was, um, just overall, I think it was with two tight ends. He was, I think it was 12 for 18, but it was 10 for 14 with three receivers. Get some, I think it was more than 10 yards a throw. So that's something that I I think they need to do a little bit more of in this one as well. So not to just do the same thing, but I think there were things that absolutely worked that I don't think they're good enough to go away from. And I think the Eagles are, are a team that you can do that against. They ran the ball better, I think, than you thought. Some of that was how scrambles. Jordan Davis, might not play defensive tackle for the Eagles so and as of as of my taping this I don't know yet if he's going to play so I think that's something to watch as well um defensively uh, the game plan against DeAndre Swift was really good and they I think I felt like they they contained Jalen Hurts in the pocket and DeAndre Swift did not hurt them so the part of that was you know winning one-on-one blocks up front but the linebackers being able to to fill like Jamin Davis I felt did a really nice job in that game filling gaps Getting tackles three yards and closer to the line of scrimmage. How does it, you know, so I think like their strategy with that was really good. The safeties did a good job coming up. They seem to know when it's a run, all that, and they filled those gaps pretty well. Not just, you know, sometimes it might be a six, seven yard run, but it wasn't a an explosive run. So they were did a good job of limiting those explosive runs. I mean, they did a really good job in that area. So you need to continue that. And with Hurts, obviously, you know, keep them in the pocket, blah, blah, blah. We know that. And, um, you know, so that's, I think that's what they have to do there. Um, So there you go. So that's number two, number three, it's attention to details because I think that's been lacking every game for this crew. And that's something they absolutely have to improve on the stunts. Like there's, there are rules for stunts and it's pretty basic, but you have to know where your eyes are. This is the details and the details consistently. I thought the offense would be better with the details because that's what we kept hearing with the enemy. And 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 it just in some of it's a growth thing. It's on defense too. I'll get to that in a minute. But but offensively, it's it's the stunts, right? It's knowing when you're a hot receiver, like there's a play against the Giants where where Sam Howell gets sacked then out of empty formation because he and John Bates were not on the same page. You've got to get those details down because that little play can make the difference in a first down and a loss, right? So, you know, that's that's the stuff that that they haven't done. And that's where I felt like Stromberg, if he plays, has really good awareness against stunts. I don't know how good he would be on the move, but he good against stunts. He has good awareness. Tyler Larson's going to have to do a good job with that as well. Because I would expect the Eagles to test him in that way because the Giants had success with that. I don't, again, I don't anticipate the same game plan the Giants used. But I think up front, I would test that, especially in the interior. Because it does seem like, you know, I talked to some people, like, are they testing him more in the interior? Because you know on the edges you're going to get chipped. And they're doing a, maybe a slightly better job in that area, chipping guys with tight ends with backs, that maybe you're going to test the interior a little bit more, especially now you have a you have a backup center coming in and you have a new left guard. If I'm the Eagles, I'm going to test that with a couple moot games inside and, and do so. But you got to, there is a there is a there's a there's a technique to use to defend those stunts, and it's where you're keeping your eyes. Get them in the right place. I think in coverage. In coverage, it's again same with the eyes. Now, Manuel Forbes went back in last week, did a better job. If he plays more this week, I don't whether it's him or someone else, it's the discipline of the deep and and, and limiting the big mistakes down the field because that cost him the game. Like they had five plays that was pro- that probably gained about 170 yards in that game. The Eagles did, and four of those, it's I think you know was was with. Um, was with Emmanuel Forbes. And so some of that was just poor, poor, poor technique, knowing where your eyes are, knowing that if you're over the top in a, in a certain stack coverage, stay over the top. Don't fall for the pitter patter of the feet on a double move, stay over the top. Just the discipline, take those away. And then I think you have a chance in this game because you know I think they've done a pretty good job against Jalen Hurts in the past. Jalen Hurts left points on the field in that first game. So I think they've done a pretty good job against him but it's attention to details in the situation. Um, you know, again, I look at, and, and again, details with the run game. Because one of the frustrating things when you watch the run game, and I was going back and watching against the Eagles, and they they did gain or I think it was over 90 yards. But some of that was Sam house scrambles. But it's too often, man, there's sometimes I'm looking at an offensive lineman's assignment is like, I don't know how he can get to this guy and hold this guy out of this look, out of this run, because it seems like the line is shading a certain way, anticipating a run to that side. And, you know, you're you're giving that away and you're giving them an advantage. And now the cutback lanes are just completely destroyed. And so it makes it harder. But what I did like is in the red zone, some of the, when they get to 11 personnel in the red zone, maybe use some RPOs in the red zone just to hesitate. And it creates more gaps. On that 15-yard touchdown run by Brian Robinson, a really nice gap to the outside, but also, you know, you're out of 11 personnel, and so it just it, to me it created some better lanes and gaps for the linemen for the back to then hit. But then there's sometimes where the you know uh, um, Hassan Reddick drives Andrew Wiley back on one run that forces Gibson or, or Robinson, I can't remember which one, up on one run. You have a good path to the outside if you just hold your block. That's not that's not a detail. That's winning your that's winning your your battle. So that's something that you have to do as well if you want to come out of here with an upset. Anyways. That, those are my my keys of the game. My prediction, listen, man, it's hard to go pick pick the commanders in this one. And I'm going to give them one last shot here, 28-21 Eagles, where they keep this game close. And I do think like, it wouldn't shock me if they won because anything happens. I don't know that I like where things are at this week after that Giants loss, but I think if you're going to do it, this will be the time to do it. And so if you want to turn around, you got to do it. I just wonder where their heads are at right now with everything going on. And can, can they pull off this upset? I don't know, but I, these games are always close. I mean, they almost won with Garrett Gilbert. They almost won in the last game of the year, a couple of years ago, you know, they won up there last year. They should have won that first game. After that first game, I remember leaving Philly thinking, well, I'm definitely picking them in that second meeting because they went toe to toe, but just what we've seen, you know, last week and the slow starts concerns me because if you get off to a slow start against the Eagles, then I think it's a wrap because you can't fall behind them because then they can run the ball. Then they're going to pin their ears back and get after you even more. And then there's big trouble. So anyway, that's it for me, folks. Again, I'll be back after the game, wrapping up the Commander's Eagles game, Tuesday morning film review, Tuesday night live stream show with Bram Weinstein at 7.30 talking about the trade deadline. I'll talk to you next time.